BDC, the Bank for Canadian Entrepreneurs, is a proud partner of the Startup Women podcast. BDC is here for women entrepreneurs in their efforts to move forward and achieve their business goals. To meet their specific needs, BDC provides financing, strategic advice, and has a wide selection of free resources. Find out more at bdc.ca forward slash women. BDC is here for what's ahead. The Scotiabank Women Initiative is a signature program designed to increase economic opportunity for individuals who identify as women or non-binary to be successful now and in the future. This unique offering helps women pursue their best professional and financial futures by providing unbiased access to capital and tailored solutions, bespoke specialized education, holistic advisory services, and mentorship. For more information, visit scotiabankwomeninitiative.com. Welcome to the Startup Women Podcast, a show where we connect you, Canada's powerful cohort of women-identifying founders, to real stories and case studies of women-building businesses, supported by true, tactical advice from thought leaders and industry experts. I'm your host, Kayla Isabel, CEO of Startup Canada. Each month, I'll be sharing the mic with one founder and one expert. Together, we will dive into real stories and scenarios and uncover actionable advice for women entrepreneurs across Canada. From funding and hiring to sales and scaling strategies, on this show, we cover the most important topics so you can deconstruct the challenges of starting and running a business with knowledge that goes beyond the surface level. Let's get started. Sheena Brady is the founder and tea sommelier of Teas, a well-loved line of natural and botanical wellness teas that benefit the planet and those that drink them, while also funding entrepreneurship and mentorship programs for ambitious women. Sheena and Teas recently went through a rebrand, something that made her rethink who she sells to, why she sells, and how she goes about doing it. I realized I actually stopped being my own customer in a way, which was a huge red flag. Right before the pandemic, we had a client. They were like, you know what? We love your loose blends and the quality and the integrity of them, but we need them in tea bags. During the pandemic, I think people were really craving uh, more wellness options without compromising accessibility, convenience, and uh, quality and sustainability. And so that shift in like consumer preferences along with me stop being my own customer we'd made the bold move to like stop with loose leaf tea and like reinvest in a line of fully biodegradable compostable tea bags including the outer packaging because we knew that if we're going to do this we're going to do it right that's where our expert of sales patty poker check comes in Patty is an award-winning marketing and sales executive and coach with decades of experience at companies such as IBM, Siemens, as well as startups from all across Canada and Europe. Patty has been an adjunct professor at Ryerson University, teaching entrepreneurial sales to entrepreneurial majors, as well as professional sales to MBA students and small business management to non-business students. The future of sales is more the emotional intelligence rather than, you know, you know, having an MBA, yeah, helps, but it's the, it's, it's developing your self-awareness, 
getting the confidence that you've done this before, you can do it for them. And if they say, no, it's next opportunity, still going to be dealing with human dynamics and that's not changing. In this conversation, we bring together Sheena and Patty's expertise and experiences to talk about sales and selling and how women entrepreneurs can set themselves up for success, gain confidence, and ultimately grow their businesses. When we sell a product or service, what we are really selling is an experience, a feeling, a desired outcome. Selling is a skill built on listening, emotional intelligence, and being of service to your clients and connections. Welcome to the show, Patty and Sheena. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Kayla. Thank you. I'd love the round of applause, Patty. (laughs) I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, So let's kick off with some context. Sheena, I'm going to throw it over to you first. Walk us through your entrepreneurial journey. Why did you want to create teas? Uh, Why the wellness and beverage industry? What really excited uh, you as as an entrepreneur in those spaces? Yeah, so many great questions. So I was actually in hospitality leadership for over a decade. Like that's what I went to school for. It was my dream to open a restaurant one day. And I felt very privileged that I got to go to school for the thing that I was then doing a career in, yet I was kind of miserable at the same time. And I thought, well, this is this is a little bit strange, but I didn't have enough self-awareness to like really unpack that. I was like really young in my, in my 20s and what have you, but I was working nights, weekends, holidays, uh, you know, in, in a very demanding career in hospitality. And that journey led me to working at a beautiful hotel in Toronto, uh, the Shangri-La Hotel, and they have a beautiful tea program. And I was asked to uh, actually enhance the tea program and create one of the biggest in the entire city, this like big PR worthy uh, tea program that extended beyond just tea service, but like cultural tea ceremony. So if you had a family mm. visit, you know, from China or Japan or Morocco or England, uh, you know, it was my responsibility to train um, the service team on how to deliver a tea ceremony that was, you know, culturally um, significant to what their experience was back home to make them feel right back home at the Shangri-La Hotel. And then I also had to have a life library of over 75 different unique blends sourced from around the world. So no big deal. (laughs) Plot twist. I didn't even drink tea at the time. Okay. And so being like super ambitious, I was just like, yeah, no worries. Like I, I can do this. And, um, I, at the time, was surviving on a lot of coffee to get through those long, demanding shifts in hospitality that I was, you know, talking about, right? Like six, seven cups of coffee a day. And like, obviously, too much of anything is not good for you. No, but especially that much caffeine. And so, you know, I had sleep issues. I had anxiety. I had stomach issues. Um, I, I had headaches. I had, you know, all of these challenges that I knew stemmed from my, you know, coffee uh, obsession and needing it to get through these shifts. Um, but it seemed like my only source of fuel. So when I was asked to create this tea program, uh, I decided to become a certified tea sommelier, believe it or not, that's a real thing. And so I joined the Teen Herbal Association of Canada, took an eight month journey to become a tea sommelier. And I really did it to just prove a point that I would be capable of learning about the world of tea and developing this world-class tea program. What I didn't expect is to actually fall completely in love with tea along the way. And how I fell in love with the world of tea and botanicals is quite simple. Next thing I knew, there were different 
teas and blends to support how I was feeling. If I had anxiety, there was a blend for that. If I needed a sleep support, there was a blend for that. If I needed a little bit more focus to get through the day, minus the crash and jitters that, you know, coffee can give you, there was a blend for that. And that's kind of when that light bulb moment kind of hit. There was this idea that no matter how I was feeling, I could really turn to tea as a source of support to really invest in myself and my goals and my everyday well-being. And so that was really weaved in our ethos at teas very early on when I started teas as a very scrappy side hustle while working at the Shangri-La Hotel. And it was not a business. It was like a creative escape. It was just something that just gave me so much joy, something that I love doing, new type of problem solving. And so it was a very modest side hustle at the time. You know, flash forward where we are today, you know, teases, gosh, I don't know, eight and a half years old ish, eight and a half years old. And, you know, we now have customers in over 30 countries. Um, we've recently relaunched our brand so that we're more retail centric than ever. So we're at 150 locations across Canada and the US in different retail stores. Um, we've had some, you know, great success with like different, you know, opportunities through, you know, sales channels and selling, which I know we're going to get into uh, momentarily. But the most important thing that has been important for us throughout all of this is again, like extending that idea that, you know, Tees is here to support you. We really want you to look at Tees as an outlet to invest in your everyday wellness and self-care rituals. And when you're investing in Tees, you're also investing in women founders at the same time. And, you know, as, as you shared that we, we invest um, with every order into our sister organization founders fund that invests in women entrepreneurs. So it, it really kind of creates this really cohesive ecosystem for us that our community at Tees loves. Um, and this idea that they can invest in themselves while investing in other women with every order. Amazing, Sheena. I've, I've, I know your story and every time I hear it, I get even more inspired and I learn something <laughs> new. So thanks so much for sharing that, Sheena. Patty, uh, let's go over to you. You coach entrepreneurs to sell better and also teach entrepreneurial sales at Ryerson in, uh, in downtown Toronto. When it comes to selling, paint us a picture of you know what women entrepreneurs are struggling with most, what are you talking about often and what kind of coaching um, do you find women entrepreneurs in your network are really benefiting from these days? Oh, that's, that's, that's a huge topic. But there is a generational generational gap in that there are women of a certain age, say 40 plus, still think sle sales is really sleazy. And their biggest concern is, I don't want to be salesy. And I'm living proof that sales is a learned profession. It, you're not a born salesperson. The, the loudmouth extrovert has to be has to learn how to shut up. And the students I teach in you know, in the 20s and 30s, they just don't know how to sell. They've been sold to their whole lives. And so they just need to know that it's a process, there's a discipline to it, and there's a skill set. And it's not trickery. You know, when my when I had to when somebody hired me spontaneously as a sales coach eight years ago, I I, I had to deconstruct what made me sell millions around the world in two languages. And it was like, I'm curious and I'm caring. Hardly rocket science things, right? But if you, if because sales is being of service to others, you're there to help. Uh, so women need, they need to have more confidence. They need to know how to sell. So learning how to sell is the biggest barrier because, you know, business starts when a sale is made and you can get by on, on your contacts and connections to about a 50 grand level and then you'll struggle. And if they don't want to learn to sell, They'll struggle. I tell them to go get a job because they're plateaued because you have to know how to sell, how to do and business to business. You know, I, it, unfortunately, sales gets 
retail sales and and I've done both you know I've been a, a retailer with a garden center in the middle of nowhere so I know what it's like that's a marketing play you know when you're selling a million dollar system to, to like Bell Canada you don't do that over an Instagram post that's business to business outbound selling so it's, it's, it is a skill set and you need so many skills these days because the customer is so more well informed and it's it's changed from 20 years ago. So you got to keep learning. I still learn. I still learn. You know, it just never stop because every people are so different. And I think that's encouraging that many, you know, women entrepreneurs or just entrepreneurs in general that I talk to often are so overwhelmed at the idea of sales that you know, I'm not comfortable in this space. I don't have experience in this space. And I think that's encouraging to hear from you Patty and and I'm sure we'll get into this Sheena with your examples. You can learn and refine and, you know, finesse these different approaches. Uh, but hopefully in today's episodes we can give some really practical tools to help entrepreneurs get there. Our case study for today. So Sheena, we want to go through in detail teases growth over the last couple of years um, and get a better understanding of what does your sales journey actually concretely look like? Because I think, you know, we talk about sales as this sort of amorphous idea. You obviously have to sell your products and services, but what does that actually look like from the experience of a business owner? Yeah, great question. And I just want to like requote something Patty said, because it's so true. Like sales is a service, Mm -hmm. right? Like you're doing a service for people. And if you can really just keep that simple fact in your mind, sales is a service and how can you weave that into all of the different um, people that you're interacting with in the spirit of obviously selling your brand, your products, your services, whatever the case might be, um, that'll really help you. And that's actually really been defining for T's because when we talk about sales, we're talking about, you know, we have five different sales channels, first of all, like we we're on Amazon, we obviously have our Shopify store. um, And then we have like strategic partnerships. And uh, we also have um, wholesale. And so, you know, the selling in those different channels in itself is very unique. And if we're going to talk about practical tips that I can share, like very broadly, I think my top tip is number one, give yourself a seat at every table. And what I mean by that is the only way you're going to get yourself a seat at the table of whoever you're trying to sell to is to feel welcome at their table and to really know about their business and how your business can support them. So really doing a lot of that like due diligence research ahead of time about their business, their needs, their gaps, um, and how you might be able to fit into that. And, you know, this has really worked for us time and time again. And it's never, like you said, you will never sell anything in an Instagram post, but it takes time and you have to keep showing up and proving that you want a seat at that table. So one, uh, great example, like, like a very tangible specific example, um, is we have a sales channel that I call strategic partnerships, and that's working with like subscription boxes as an example. Um, and larger subscription box brands are not just this concept of like, oh, you get this door, you get this, sorry, this box at your door every now and then um, during a scheduled cadence. They actually have like these add-on marketplaces now, and they're becoming these really cool lifestyle marketplaces um, with aligned brands. And so, you know, with a particular one, we we did our research. We know that this brand represents like seasonal um, curations of products. And they really fall into this idea of like spring, summer, winter, fall. And so with teas, you know, we think like, okay, how can we curate a very tailored pitch deck that's appropriate with the seasons? What type of tea blends or, you know, aligned products can we offer that are great for like winter versus summer? Can we do cold brew iced tea pitchers in the summer, but then in the winter um, offer like hot brewing options, obviously. And so we're just giving ourselves like a seat at the table by making sure that we're providing, you know, value that's actually reflective of like what their brand wants. And so, you know, that subscription box versus like other, you know, 
clients that we work with, very, very different needs for their business. And so it's just very important that um, you're doing that research ahead of time and, and you're continually not only emailing them, but like following up because you will get ghosted again and again and again. Everyone's very busy. Everyone has a lot of noise in their inbox. Don't take it personally. Um, if you don't hear anything, just follow up. Dang it. I love that piece of advice. And which table did you start with? Like at the very beginning of tea, which table did you invest your energy with? And then, you know, you grew from there, obviously. Yeah. So good question. Um, we started in uh, restaurants actually, because that was my background. That was like my forte. You know, I had worked in hospitality for years. I knew that I had success curating this exceptional tea program at the Shangri-La Hotel, and I thought, well, I can do this for other, uh, for other you know, hotels, restaurants, that sort of thing. And so I really leaned into my expertise to be able to do that. We don't serve restaurants today, though, so we've completely pivoted as well to like who we work with, you know, since our early days. But that's where I started. I leaned into what I had experience in, um, and so that was that was like a really helpful start in the right direction for us. Amazing. And, you know, when we were chatting, Sheena, you were mentioning that, you know, one of your main challenges relating to sales was navigating this recent refresh and this rebrand to a totally Mm -hmm. biodegradable line of tea and packaging. And Patty, I'll come to you next on on this space. I I think this is a challenge so many entrepreneurs are faced with right now. Walk us through what that journey was like, Sheena. Um, How did you navigate those different challenges, looking at your supply chain, uh, and then obviously doing that during a global pandemic when supply chain issues were also, you know, already challenging to navigate. Um, What are some, walk us through that journey and give us some tips about how you navigate. Definitely. So traditionally, Tease was known as a loose leaf tea company. And, you know, I always believe that what you see is what you get, you know, with with loose leaf tea. And it was really important to me to provide that, that, that experience to our customers. But as the pandemic kind of continued to progress and Tease is now, you know, at this point, six, seven years old, um, you know, when the pandemic kind of first hit, I realized I actually stopped being my own customer in a way, which was a huge red flag. And so what I mean by that is right before the pandemic, we had a client, uh, a private label client, basically. They were like, you know what? We love your loose blends and the quality and the integrity of them, but we need them in tea bags. We need them in tea bags because they are a much easier like inventory um like for inventory tracking purposes, like how like single servings are way easier to track than like loose leaf. And you might use a tablespoon, I might use a teaspoon and that's just an inventory nightmare. And then the mess of loose leaf tea as well, right? Like it's very difficult sometimes to contain it and get in your infuser perfectly without, you know, leaves spreading everywhere. And so this private label client was willing to invest in tea bags with my blends. And so I was able to research and have, um, tea bags manufactured for them in Toronto, which is great, just kind of keeping things made in Canada and with biodegradable compostable tea bag format. Not inexpensive at all to produce. You, you know, you're going from like uh, you know, a cost for a client like that of like 25 cents a serving to like doubling it or more with when you're putting it in tea bag format, but they they're willing to pay. So okay, cool. Flash forward into, you know, the pandemic and I stopped being my own customer in the sense that I loved those tea bags so much. Like I was making sure that we were manufacturing extra beyond what we were selling them so I could consume it because it was easier, more accessible. Um, and I it was a consistent taste with every preparation, right? Because the measurement is so bang on with like every tea bag. Uh, it's the same amount, two and a half grams in every tea bag. And that's difficult to replicate when you're using a teaspoon for loose leaf tea. So 
Anyhow, I stopped being my own customer. And during the pandemic, you know, I think people were really craving uh, more wellness options without compromising accessibility, convenience, and uh, quality and sustainability. And so that shift in like consumer uh, preferences, along with me, stopped being my own customer we'd made the bold move to like stop with loose leaf tea and like reinvest in a line of fully biodegradable compostable tea bags, including the outer packaging. Cause we knew that if we're going to do this, we're going to do it right. It took a lot of time. It was really expensive. It was wild to navigate in a pandemic when you're dealing with ridiculous, you know, inflation and rising costs and supply chain delays. And, you know, there was so much that went wrong before things went right. Um, but we were so intentional with how we did it. And we ended up launching the world's first fully biodegradable and refill tea collection, uh, which which we're incredibly proud of at Teas. And we found, you know, that this definitely spoke to our ever-evolving community of, of tea drinkers as well. And I want to get into the nuts and bolts of then how that changed how you sell the product practically or the verbiage and, you know, how that um, narrative and the story of the business has evolved as well. Patty, what's the most important thing that you recommend to entrepreneurs when you're going through a rebrand or a shift um, in, in what they sell? How do you convey those transitions of organizations that are naturally going to happen, uh, but still instilling that confidence from a sales industry. Yeah. First of all, I mean, I've lived through one disastrous rebrand at, at a computer company that went bankrupt because it was just, as Sheena said, very expensive to do, confused messaging. And so the first thing is, is keep your current clients informed. I, I'm a huge one on asking questions. Do your market research. Send out, hey, this we're thinking of this. How is that going to impact you? You know, hopefully you lost maybe 20% of your clientele who always want loose tea, but you've gained a huge other market share. So it's, it's just staying, it's just giving them the reasons why you're doing this, keeping them informed. And generally, I mean, when you became your own best customer, it's like it's proof that there's a demand there for it. So, uh, you know, for many, many reasons, and it's opened up, you know, a new retail sales chain. So it's a channel for you. So it's, it's really increased your, your piece, your, your share of the pie, basically. Um, so basically just stay in touch with your clients, always just keep them up to date say, you know, maybe you figure out that, you know, just this one blend is what everybody wants loose. And then you can just maybe keep it that way and have a special order and make them feel special. You know that you'll keep keep some 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 of the old ways are still available, maybe at the same price. So you're charging the premium price for a premium service. Yeah, and to add to that, it's you know we definitely lost some customers, right? Because they were such advocates of like loose leaf tea, and they had been so loyal to our brand for several years, and they they couldn't quite you know it, to themselves justify the more expensive format of of loose leaf uh, of tea bags because it's more expensive to manufacture, obviously. And so we did lose a few customers, and and that was that was really sad. For for us. And, and it was important for us to make sure that we had, you know, that cost benefit analysis that you kind of mentioned, Patty, like making sure that we're doing that research ahead of time and, and knowing that, okay, are we going to be okay with losing some customers knowing that, you know, we're evolving just like a lot of our, our customers in our community are and, and knowing that hopefully we'll gain a lot more customers and loyalty long-term by making these really bold, frankly, risky changes uh, in, in the middle of pandemic when technically nothing was broken, you know, nothing was broken in what we were doing selling loose leaf tea, right? So it's pretty wild 
wild that we we um, that we made that jump. And to your point, you know, the people who are sad about our loose leaf, we're already kind of thinking about, okay, how do we do this with limited edition loose leaf blends that like only these three will be available during certain times of the year and kind of as like a little bit of a compromise and nod to the previous, you know, customers that had been following us for so long and, and purchasing from us. It's That's a dance. Brilliant. Like this, yeah. this sort of ebb and flow of the different conversations and the inputs and the outputs. Like it's it's an evolution. And I think many entrepreneurs struggle with that fluidity of the sales cycle and of these processes because, you know, it's not going to be completely linear. You're not going to, you know, put one front one step in front of the other for the entire life cycle of your business. Um, so I think that's a really great illustration, Sheena, and great, great feedback, Patty, from your perspective of what you're seeing across so many different women entrepreneurs. Let's go into sales 101. <laughs> for any entrepreneur that has not even started their business yet, they're feeling very overwhelmed by the prospect of selling, um, you know, what is selling kind of uh, a section of this conversation. Sheena, bring us back to your first customer. What was the sales process like to maybe find that customer and then actually land that first sale? Uh, how did it feel? What was your approach? You know, and and maybe a little bit of a showcase of how that evolved in the infancy of your business. Yeah, great question. So I think a lot of founders, they get their first sale from like friends or family, right? And so I kind of count that as like the baby first sale. Like a, it's like the baby, like not the real first sale, but when it's still a real one, but the, my real, real first sale um, that was from a complete stranger. Uh, I'll never forget this. It's And I, I know her name. I'll just say her first name, not her full name. Her name is Cindy and she lives in Alberta. And I remember when that like Shopify ping came on, like my phone, like you got a sale. And I'm like, oh, like who is it? Like, which, yeah, it's like, oh, it's like, which at first I was like, wait, which friend or family member is like so sick of me posting? <laughs> you know, they're like, okay, I'll finally support her and like buy some tea, right? Because like, again, all my first customers were like people that I knew, um, but she was the first stranger. And so I I found her on Facebook. This sounds so bad, but like I found her on Facebook. I actually creeped her because I needed to know who is this woman who doesn't even know me, who believed in what she saw so much and like, how did she, it, like, and felt compelled enough to purchase from me. I need to know. And so I actually messaged her and I told her, I'm like, Hey, like you're my first sale. And this made me like really excited and happy to see, you know, if you wouldn't mind sharing with me, like, how did you uh, find out about me? And it turns out she found about me on a CTV interview that I did, um, which again, PR, we can probably go into as like another subtopic here is like a critical part of sales in a lot of way, in a lot of ways, like having ownership of like your PR and your PR strategy. And so you know, me being like a certified tea sommelier, I would, um, you know, knock on CTV's door and, and I'd say like, hey, you know, I'm a certified tea sommelier. I'd love to show your viewers like, you know, perfect blends to help with sleep, et cetera, all that kind of stuff. And um, yeah, so they, they brought me on for my first segment. And then Cindy found me through that segment. And that's how she ended up being my first customer. So I learned a couple things. Number one, like this PR thing's pretty cool. Like I can, I can actually make money, not just put my brand out there, but actually convert to sales. Um, and number two, she is like not only my first customer, but she's still a very loyal customer to this day. And we actually became pen pals briefly over Christmas time, um, sending each other cards. And she actually had her own brief venture in entrepreneurship doing custom jewelry making. And she sent me one as a gift um, and just kind of shared that she loved, you know, my founder journey. And, and became inspired to start something of her own. So just pretty cool ecosystem, I guess. 
Jesus, that's a pretty much the best first customer story. I think yeah. It's as good as it gets, you know, that's what I'm, I'm, and for listeners, you can't see us right now, but I'm beaming with a huge smile on my face listening to that story. Incredible, Sheena. Patty, how do you recommend entrepreneurs even consider to start building this sales strategy? You know, looking at PR, what, pre, what uh, Sheena just mentioned, um, how do you even conceptualize where you should start when looking to think of how you're going to attract that first customer? Well, first of all, you kind of have to segment entrepreneurs into two categories. One selling to consumers, and that's more of a marketing play where you're doing the social media posts and people come to you. So it's like my garden center. You know, I had a bricks and mortar, greenhouse, whatever, farm, uh, but people came to me. So I had to entice them with through marketing. Now, business to business, where even in Sheena, you know, when you're selling to wholesalers or retail chains, that's more the business to business that I was involved in for most of my life. And first of all, entrepreneurs, you, uh, <laughs> my biggest soapbox is that sales is not treated as a respected profession. The fact that we actually graduate business students today without an appreciation for sales is a crime, in my opinion. Okay? Like marketing will have nothing to do with sales. Because they hold their nose and they just think, oh, it's just consumer marketing. What they forget is 50 to 60% of marketing grads, of which I'm one. I had an MBA in marketing with zero sales. Uh, And so my first role play at IBM, I I sat there like a lump on the locks. I had no skills and I was really angry. And that was decades ago. So the first of all is it's a learned skill set. I'm living proof. You can take a shy little geek. And actually shy little geeks, because we don't like to talk. We like to ask questions and actually listen. So so one thing is selling is listening. It's not talking. And that's why I bring out my elephant with the big ears, Horton here, because you've got to listen twice or three times as much as you speak. So the elephant's got a small mouth. And so you just ask questions and ask questions and being curious. Again, curious and caring, which is the service part of sales in learning, learning that there is a process. Um, I've had clients that didn't know they had to ask for the order. Ask for the order, you ask a question, shut up, be quiet, be comfortable. Learn to be comfortable with silence, you know, is, is really, really important. It's, 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 it's um, I mean, when I think I, I, I teach 12 weeks of sales to entrepreneur students. So in a, in a one hour podcast, I can't give you all my secrets, but my, my brand promise to take you from sales fear to sales fun, and I benchmark it every time. And I've been told in 45 minutes I can g- give you more sales techniques and tools than you, d- you get in many other um, one-day events just because I've got so many years of experience and I've just honed it down. I have, if I can add to that, I have a bit of a semi-controversial uh, tactic that you can that you can use early on as a founder when you are you know again trying to you know sell your products and for a lot of for a lot of people it can feel uncomfortable you know putting yourself out there right like it's really difficult to put yourself out there over and over and then you spin up these narratives of like why haven't I heard back yet why aren't they you know replying to me or like do they hate my product do they done do they not like me so I had these very real concerns um, probably like about year two into my business when I really wanted to like really amplify like our sales strategy across our different sales channels. And so what I did, and again, I don't know, Patty, maybe you'll disagree. 
through with this. But again, being a solo founder, you're doing everything, right? You're not only sales, you are PR, you are marketing, you are finance. So you're not only the person like selling the thing, but then you're also the person who's like, okay, now you got to pay me for the thing, right? And so I started feeling like, man, I must be like this annoying person that after I sell something that I'm following up for payment and, and all this kind of stuff. So this is what I did. This is a controversial thing. I created an alias one day, okay? I created an alias and I thought of two women that I really freaking love and respect. And it's Taylor Swift and Lizzo. And I respect them both for very different reasons. But one of the one of the main things that they have in common is they're exceptional businesswomen, very confident businesswomen in addition to being masters at their crafts and being artists, right? So I created uh, an alias named Taylor Jefferson. So Taylor, obviously named after Taylor Swift, and Jefferson is Lizzo's real last name. And I created that alias, and now it was Taylor that was reaching out to different mm. companies. But it was really me. And I kind of looked at, uh, at Taylor as kind of like my alter ego. Like if Sheena wasn't feeling confident enough to – approach something or follow up in a certain way, like how would Taylor say it? And it kind of, you know, took a little bit of pressure off of me, even though it's me, obviously, who's still sending the emails. Um, but it kind of gave me like a little bit, um, you know, of a of a barrier to some of those sensitivities, I guess, like in a good way, having like Taylor approach a lot of those um, conversations, at least an email, those cold emails, right? Those cold emails that you have to send like a hundred out blindly um, before you maybe get like a couple people in interested in replying and having a conversation. I, I totally agree with that. You know, having, you know, having multiple emails where this is a accounting at, you know, T's, T's T, right. Or, or, you know, customer service. So it's still you. I, I totally agree that you have to be doing everything. Um, but many entrepreneurs think they're bothering people when, unless they get the, Hey, don't call me. Don't, you know, that you're giving, you know, and it's, there's no more cold calling. We have so much information that once you know, who, who you serve, the job title, the industry, and the benefit, it's not a cold call. You're there to help them. Whether they want their, your help or not is their decision. But if you don't show that you're persistent, and persistence can take 10 to 20 touches. So I, I usually do the double, a voicemail and email, a voicemail and email, a voicemail, stalk them on social media, engage with them on social media. After 20 times, you might think about, but that will range over 12 to 24 months. So most entrepreneurs think, oh, two times and you're out. No, that's such a, and it's just the consistency of, yeah, I'm interested, but not now. I'm interested not now. And we're, we're not polite or not, we're too busy to even say, sorry, call me in three months. We just ignore it and delete it because, oh, it'll come again, obviously. If you truly believe in your product and service. And you're, you're, you know you can help them. So as part of it, the persistence is, is really, really key. Whatever it takes to get more confidence and never to, you know, no means next opportunity. I, and I really, in my decades of selling, rarely have I been rejected. I usually just say, I don't want to waste your time or mine. You know, is, 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 you know, not now, never, or is it maybe later? You know, tell me, you know, and if it's no... Don't I want to waste your time or mine? You know, just be honest. And people are honest. You know, they go, yeah, well, it's not quite a fit. So fine, that's good. Then I got more cycles to go after somebody that's more 
more suitable to me, you know? I so agree with that. And I don't subscribe to the concept of like cold calling. Like it's not cold calling anymore. Like you said, we yeah. have so much information at our fingertips that it's it's warm calling. Like you can do one LinkedIn search and know exactly who the contact is that you need to reach out, how, how long they've been with the company. Like we have so much more information than ever being in like the digital age of having access to the internet and access to, you know, social media and, and all that good stuff. So even just that mindset shift, like this isn't cold calling or cold emailing. Like I, I already have a lot of information. I'm not even, I don't even need to ask for this information because I have so much of it to begin with. Yeah. It's, it's like you said, Tease is now the, was the world's first uh, biocom. Yeah. Yeah. Fully biodegradable and compostable tea collection. Yes. That, that phrase. Yeah. And so that's, you know, because now um, what I teach is the, the challenger sale, which is leading with insights. So you've got something to, you know, did you know um, such and such, you know, that your customers are looking for this kind of product and I, we offer it. We're the world's first. Like that's a real good brag to have, right? But you're saying, hey, I've got something for you. Mm-hmm. And did you know, like have some some insight into the industry? So tell them something they don't know. Something that, um, I mean, when I was in the barcode business, we barcoded everything. I mean, anything like from the prime minister's desk to the manure spreader at the experimental farm. Like we just barcoded everything for to keep track of it you know and and there was a reason for because people were were losing tens of millions of dollars worth of assets so we help them find them or keep them so and another really important thing that you mentioned too is like you can't give up after two reach outs right like you can't and i and if there's anything that i've learned you know from some of our biggest opportunities at tees like we've been on dragon stand and we've been on the ellen show so two really awesome like pr opportunities for us dragon's den like we got rejected like two years in a row before we actually got an audition with the producers and we just kept on the producers after we were auditioning to, uh, to make sure that we actually got in front of the dragons and then with the ellen show it was I think like 18 months of like pitching again products over and over again based on what I know their niches or demographic and curating the right products and experiences for their customers over and over and over again. And sometimes we would hear nothing. And sometimes you would hear, okay, send a sample. And then you're like, oh yeah, they're actually interested. And then you send a sample and then nothing. Um, and so, you know, again, like that persistence is, is so important. And like Patty said, like, unless they're just saying no, like your brand is just not a good fit right now or at this time, like you, you just got to keep going. Yeah. Again, I would make a distinction having been on TV and in, in, in front page of the Ottawa Business Journal, PR for B2B doesn't create the same amount of business as PR for consumer products. Like there's just, you can, you can do a lot of TV and, and, and interviews and podcasts and, and, and not really bring in a lot, as much money and as much recognition, just the dollar values are so different and who's, who's watching, you know, um, I was once on, on, on the 1130 news on CTV and you never know who's watching until you're on the TV and he goes, I saw you, I saw you. It's like, I know, but you're already my customer, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Cindy. Yeah. (laughs) experience. No, I think this is such an important area that that entrepreneurs feel so uncomfortable with of this idea of pestering versus, um, you know, just being proactive and and constantly coming back to these conversations. In order to not pester is always leave something of value. Never say, how are you? If I don't know you, never say I'm checking in, never say I'm following up, never make them feel guilty. Say something, hey, we just did this and that would apply to your company. Interested? Keep it short. Keep it simple. Don't try to sell the whole 
the whole warehouse when you just want one tea bag in their store, right? You just got to start with baby steps, but always leave value. So always have something new to share with them. Then you're not pestering. You're giving value, you know? That's so important. That comes back so beautifully. You're leading with insights. Yeah. You're very thoughtfully doing that uh, that follow-up. Then, yeah, it's going to feel also like you're not pestering with these sort of generic you know, comments back and forth. So that's I, this area comes up so often in business in general, even outside of specific entrepreneurship. Uh, so I think that's some really great advice from both of you there. The Startup Women Advocacy Network, SWAN, is a curated group of 13 women-identifying early-stage entrepreneurs who advocate and champion the needs of women entrepreneurs from coast to coast to coast. Indigenous Box is a subscription and corporate gift service that promotes Indigenous entrepreneurship by creating opportunities for emerging, underrepresented, and established Indigenous businesses to reach new customers and enter new market spaces. Indigenous Box's founder, Mallory Youngway, is the Albertan Swan representative. She believes in the importance of building bridges and collaborating to elevate Indigenous business. To learn more, visit indigenousbox.ca. Threading Change is a youth-led, ethical fashion organization aimed at education, advocacy, and uplifting marginalized voices in the fashion industry through research, storytelling, and collaboration. They envision a future where fashion is circular, rooted in justice with climate, gender, and racial equity at the forefront. Threading Change's founder, Sophia Yang, is the BC Swan representative. Her mission is to help raise young people's voices in one of our world's most polluting industries, the fashion space. To learn more, visit threadingchange.org. Visit www.startupcan.ca and head over to the Explore tab. Under Startup Women, you'll find more information about the Advocacy Network and the incredible work of these amazing founders. I would love to go into some other pieces of actionable advice. We've talked a lot about finding customers um, and understanding who your customer even is. And Sheena, you've, you've illustrated both yourself as your potential customer um, and how you've engaged with, with that first sales um, cycle as well. So we all know that defining your customer is a really important step before you actually sell. Who is going to be leveraging this product and making sure you have that product market fit? How do you decide who you want your customer to be? So Patty, when we're talking about D2C or B2B or all of these different structures of uh, you know, who your customer could be, how do you decide who is best? And do you cast the net wide? Do you identify a specific one and test that there? Um, Patty, how do you even conceptualize where you should be selling to first? Well, when you start out, I say you should be like an octopus or a spider with eight, eight eggs out there. Because as, as Sheena said, she started out in hospitality because that's what she knew. And when I started out, I thought I would make a million selling this PDA, if you can imagine. It was oh, 30 years ago. It was you know, before cell phones really took off. Um, and I, was, I couldn't have been more wrong. I, I could actually sell a $5,000 barcode system or $50,000 than a $500 personal assistant. So it's, so it's like you figure out and you go, where's the money coming from? You know, it's the 80-20 rule. And, and, and I always say is you need two clients from strangers. I tell my students always, talk unlike your parents, talk to strangers, okay? Because it's only until you sell to a stranger that you know you have a business. That's the, that's the really key part. So 
try to see what the similarities are. So having two clients, you can reference sell and you go, who do you know? Ask for referrals, you know, and, and just expand that category. And, you know, you can only focus on one thing at a time, but it doesn't mean that you can't have two or three. Like um, Sheena's got five sales channels. That's that's really important for, 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 for diversification. So if one happens not to do as well, it's, well, let's, let's pay more attention on the strategic partners, for example, and grow that market. Um, so it's, it's like really being clear on who you serve, the biggest benefit, the easiest, and the ones that you want to deal with too, the ones you have the most fun with. I, I, um, I have a, a category that I go, oh, no, they're too boring. They're way too boring. I can't deal with them. So as entrepreneurs, we get to choose. And it's like, who do you have, who do you enjoy working with? And that you get the biggest energy from. And the biggest, they get the biggest um, payback is really key. Sheena, did you find that? Did you gravitate towards some customers more than others? I agree with everything Patty said. Like, I think it's so important in the early stages, like she said, to like be an octopus, feel out a whole bunch of different areas, like what feels good, what feels, you know, natural at, at first. And then what can you get a little bit uncomfortable and like explore new markets and, you know, see if you can figure that out. Like for us, like Amazon was this weird sales beast because we were like, well, we don't want to really like cheapen the brand by being on Amazon. But what if we, and also it's very expensive to be on Amazon. They take a lot from us, right? Um, so we thought, okay, well, what if we just have high margin SKUs and only four SKUs and the ones with the highest margins? And then that's like the gateway of people discovering teas and that we have all these other products as well, but they have to come to our website to try all these other products, right? So kind of like looking at some sales channels that you might not make a lot of money in is more of like a long-term customer acquisition strategy to like the areas where you are making more margins. I will say we found ourselves in a really awkward time right uh, right before the pandemic. And I think the pa- pandemic amplified it, which is what made me do the rebrand too. Um, we had way too many sales channels. We had way too many. Um, it was too many to like keep track of. And I didn't have the issue of like having a boring sales channel as, as a Patty gave an example, but I had one that drove me crazy because they felt very entitled. And I'll just like candidly say like what that was. And that ended up being the hospitality industry. Um, funny enough, because that's where I came from. And so I'll never forget this. I had this like independent coffee shop that was like on my, on our case all the time being like, when are you going to give us like branded sleeves, like for the, for the, uh, like our to-go cups, you know, that you put the tea in. We want branded sleeves and we don't want to pay for them because it's your brand that's on them. Or like, you know, when are you going to provide like uh, displays or whatever? Like they just kept asking for these things. And I said, you know what, can you get on a phone call with me? Can we like talk this out? Like, I'm really trying to understand, like you have our menu, like, you know what you can order from us, but like you keep asking for all these other things that like, we don't even manufacture. So I'm just like, I want to understand the why. Um, So we get on a call and she's like, look, like there's so many tea and coffee brands to choose from, as you know, and it tends to be like the bigger the brand, like the more those brands are willing to put their logo on anything and like give you it for free. Coca-Cola, for example, right? They will pay for your refrigerator. If you have a coffee shop, they will pay for the fridge as long as their signage is on it. And as soon as she started breaking it down, I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. And I left that call thinking like, I never want to be 
that service provider for you. You know, I didn't tell her that on the call, but I knew that I was going to have to break up with like the, 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 uh, hotel industry because these types of little requests just kept coming up. It's like, I'm not here to, to create, you know, all these like branded assets and like uh, all these customizations that just don't make sense. And so you got to be a little bit careful as much as it's important to like explore all these sales channels. Sometimes you might have to break up with a sales channel because it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't align. Um, and so that's just, something to keep in mind because you can't be everything to everyone. You just can't. Saying it. I love that, Gina. <laughs> so we have now figured out some some initial questions to ask when you're probing who you are going to sell um, to. When you're navigating why people should buy from you, um, how do you craft that unique value proposition? You know, Sheena, in the tea space or in, in this industry that, that you are in being very saturated and, you know, all these different competitors, um, how do you differentiate yourself to your customers? Um, and has that been a journey in exploring what resonates the most with your different customers? Definitely. And actually, that's a part of your question I forgot to answer the the last time. But like in terms of who is my customer, I mentioned, you know, the sales channels that I ended up eventually having to break up with. But it was also a really good exercise for us to realize like, okay, who is our customer? Like, yeah. who is our demographic? Like, we know that um, we're here to serve like women who lead and live busy lives, you know, busy moms or, you know, busy, like, um, you know, busy, like women in the workplace and that just have a lot on the go uh, and that just need a little bit of more support in everyday life and everyday partnership in everyday work, like whatever that looks like. And we want to help be that support system. Okay. So, you know, we, we knew that we felt rooted in that. Um, we know that our customers tend historically to range between uh, like 27 plus, like 27 to like, like 60 plus range. And it actually skews heavily on the 40 plus side, which is interesting because in our early years, we marketed heavily to like younger women. I, I don't know if that's a bad thing or a good thing. It's just, I was a younger woman. And I'm like, oh yeah, like, you know, this is who I'm going to market to. Right. Um, um, but it turns out that like our messaging really resonated with 40 plus even more than, you know, under, under that age bracket. And so getting very intentional, like, okay, well, where, where are these women? Right. And so when we talk about strategic partnerships and different sales channels and like, that's why we went on the Ellen show. Like we just know that there are some, like there are some, um, you know, age demographics or generations that still enjoy, cable TV. They still have cable TV, right? I, I I still do candidly, but we knew like that viewership that like the Ellen show has as an example is literally our demographic. It's probably women 40 plus ish that are like taking care of their kids as they're coming home from school, or maybe they're retired or like something in between. Um, and so, yeah, really drilling down on like who our customers are and then going after partnerships and opportunities within that. The subscription boxes, same thing. Like we know, we know that there's, there's a subscription box for everything, whether you're a pet lover, you know, there's a pet box for that. So for us, it was like, okay, where are the, where are the subscription boxes that cater to just like women that want the latest and the greatest in like the health and wellness space. And we went after those opportunities. So just really like knowing who your customer is and, and going appropriately in that direction. Patty, is this approach in your, when you're exploring, you know, who this customer should be and, and um, you know, the, the communication tools that you use to advocate on behalf of your business, is it a little bit of spaghetti on the wall? Do you have any, any strategies on how to craft that at the beginning um, when you're not really sure who is ultimately going to buy your product? Well, to start a business, you have to have some kind of competitive edge. So uh, right from the beginning, and it shouldn't be price because nobody competes with, with Walmart, basically. You compete on service, on, on, you know, IBM, like never had the best 
I, uh, computers, but they had the best trained salespeople, of which you know is how I started my sales career. So it's 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 um, sometimes you know if you don't have a sales and marketing background, time, maybe find a sales and marketing consultant. And the important part is sales first, marketing second, because a lot of marketers don't have the sales experience, unfortunately. And you know they're, they're because of social media, they've had to be more responsive to sales going, this is who we sell to instead of market, you know, dictating from the ivory tower of, you know, who their target market is when they have no idea because they've never sold. And selling is, in marketing, is it's, 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 it's like an inexact science. Like it's, they're, they're, if I had a magic wand to say, oh, T's got to go here and you'll sell 10 billion tomorrow. Sure. I mean, Sheena would, you know, call, you know, pay a billion for my services, but mm-hmm. there's, there is no so, such, there's no formula in business, you know, in, in, or in sales and marketing. There is, you've got to trial and error and then do more of what is good for you, what is bringing in you the profit margin where the people aren't dickering. Um, one of the best lessons I learned from IBM was, you know, the best sale is the one you walk away from. You know, if they're horrible people before they buy, they're going to be even worse after they buy. They're going to be the entitled ones as you talk about. So don't go there, you know, and you do that once and then you go, no, 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 no. Unless they get the the nasty um, customer surcharge, you know, you double your price and you go, okay. Uh, sometimes you do do it for the money, right? This is an important space. I think that transitions really beautifully into our, our next session, looking at like a repeatable sales process that if you're investing all of this time and energy in this very small community or small target market that ultimately sucks you alive and isn't profitable, that's not going to scale your business. So making some of those tough calls in the short term really supports that long-term vision of growth or or, um, you know, scale in, in a way that as a founder, you're trying to prioritize. Um, so Sheena, I want to drill into this sort of repeatable sales cycle or structure that, that you've leveraged um, with the sort of asterisks as well, that you're building a social purpose venture, Founders Fund, while building T's, or, or I guess building them sim- simultaneously, uh, which really actively supports women entrepreneurs. How do you look at uh, these two models working together to achieve both organizational goals and then having that repeatable across your sales cycle? Walk us through how you've built this type of business. Yeah, that's a really good question. So you know, and we've actually failed in the past too with um, strategies that made us lose money, right? Like thinking that, you know, the sales strategy is going to be like a winning formula and then it's not. And I keep bringing up subscription boxes because it's fresh in my mind right now, but I can share that, you know, in, in, in the past we would, you know, the thing about some subscription boxes, they'll really beat down your margins, but they'll promise you like exposure and like entry into new markets and all this stuff. And we've totally have fallen for that before. Um, and so, you know, even though your margins definitely take a hit when you're working with some of these strategic partnerships that are offering, you know, exposure and, you know, a bigger audience and they will hit your margins. And so in the past we lost, we lost money. You know, we thought like, Oh, don't worry. Like we're going to get a whole bunch of customers after we send all this product to them. And no, like they not nearly enough that where it was like recoverable or it made sense. So getting a lot more intentional about like, okay, well, how can we work with certain partners or certain sales channels to make sure that we have like that repeatable model to make them like actually want to come back to our website. And so in the example of the subscription box, you know, they loved our products. They were like, we, we want more. Like they kept featuring us in their marketplace, like every quarter. And then, you know, we would say, okay, but you're going to have to like really like increase, like how much you're paying here, at least a, a, a little bit more because it doesn't make sense as a business for us um, to have these massive uh, losses, not massive losses, but some losses. Um, 
And then in addition to that, we would add, you know, uh, storytelling to the to the packaging that would get sent to them to to the customer so when the customers received it and they heard of teas for the first time they understand why teas was unique compared to other tea companies and they understand our investment in women what that meant they understand we're a certified benefit corporation and what that means for our, our social and environmental impact and so getting an opportunity to make sure that we're sharing like the story of the brand and not just the product was a big one. And then even with like the rebrand with our product, one of the things that we did is made sure that we had a QR code inside every lid. So when you open your tea, um, you see the QR code right there. And it basically says, you know, ref, um, it says scan to refill and reduce waste, right? And so you can scan that QR code and you're brought to our refill collection. And so you can, you know, get your refills from your, from right from our website. And so it's so much like less risky when we're working with some bigger partners and distributors um, where we will still make sure we don't lose money. We never like gone are the days where we're like, oh yeah, we hope for exposure and return. Like, no, those days are long gone for us. Um, but we will sacrifice some of our margins um, more than we would in our normal wholesale pricing because we know that like, okay, our packaging has like the storytelling. It has the QR code. We know that once this person consumes their first tube of tea, if they really enjoy it, they're, they're like, hopefully they're going to want to refill it and we make it seamless, mindless. It's just scan the QR code, come to our website. And when you come to that landing page, you not only come to like our refill collection, but you come to storytelling even further, like below the products, there's more information about, you know, our brand and our ethos and, um, or social impact. And so that's been um, really good for us for creating that like repeatable process is just kind of making sure that we kind of weave in some storytelling and, and clear call to action and, and benefits for our customers to come back. Love it. And you're building that trust and that connection and that community, like literally one cup of tea at a time, which is so interesting mm -hmm. in seeing, uh, you know, the growth and evolution of teas. Patty, how do you recommend entrepreneurs you know, navigating how they, they build that trust when they're really in their infancy, when they might only have one very niche product or, um, you know, they're still kind of testing what works and what doesn't work. How do you build that relationship with a customer built on trust? Well, I always say you have to sell, you have to have two reference accounts. That's all you need is, 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 is get the breakthrough. And as, as Sheena says, you usually lose money on your first installation, your first sale. Uh, life lessons are always expensive, but you, you need those two reference accounts, right? Just to, uh, to say, hey, don't listen to me. You know, I'm the founder, I'm the salesperson, but listen to what my clients say and, and have the story. Have Know the benefits that they got of dealing with you. So you need to know your competition. You need to know where you fit in the ecosystem of this is your place. You're a premium product. You're not trying to compete with, you know, uh, I don't know, Red Rose or whatever, you know, like the supermarket brands, right? That you're a premium product and this is your story. And and, and it's much bigger than just a tea bag, right? Because the, the founder founders, the B Corps, like it's, I'm a huge B Corp fan. I, I think that's the way every corp should be, every corporation. Um, and it's just, you want to be that trusted advisor. So you got to know your industry inside out. You got to know your customer's industry and where you fit in. And and that you were saying before, how do you make it repeatable is, is um, when I was selling barcode systems to the federal government and, you know, my com competitor was a summer student with, you know, paper and a clipboard. And I was selling this state of the art system. And it's like, why? Why would I do that? Well, then I, you know, once you had a couple of clients, they saw how easy it was and it was updated and their fiscal responsibility was done is dominoes. Like it literally was the one call close and I would just, just turn it over. Like, 
a lot. I love that. And you, you reminded me of something so important. Like I think sometimes people don't realize like they're not, you're not selling your product. You're selling the experience mm. that it comes with. Right. And maybe that experience is just making someone's life a little bit easier or adding a little bit, you know, in my case with tea, adding a little level of support in their day. And, you know, I was looking at my phone just now because, you know, we have a marketing manager on our team who put together this like beautiful on point copy for this like new Facebook ad, but it says, this is not tea. Like that's what the ad says. This is not tea. And then it continues. It says, this is not tea. This is your, this is your motivation to get through your endless to-do list. This is, this is your sanity check as you go through five episodes of Paw Patrol with your child. (laughs) This is your energy after a sleepless night. Um, And so just like those, you know, like, and that's, that's a blend called mother's helper. It's for moms. Right. And so it's just like coming up with those, like, creative statements that are so authentically aligned with like the experience that you're trying to give your products. Like this is not a cup of tea. Like this is your, you know, your, your, your secret elixir for sanity, you know, as a mom to kind of like get through your day kind of thing. Right. Um, so it's, I think that's so important for anyone who's listening. Like, just remember, you're not just selling a product. Arguably you're not even selling a product. You're really selling the experience. Like how can you zero in on what that experience is? It's the benefits. People buy results and outcomes, right? So they want that feeling of serenity. They want that first, if you're making me really thirsty, I want a cup of tea, you know, <laughs> and it's just, you're selling that, that feeling, right? It's selling emotions. You, you got to hit people in their hearts, less in their heads. You know, I always say, you know, for sales and marketing is use more of this and less of this, you know, instead of throwing money at a problem, just doing more ads is be more creative. I love, I love that ad. I, I'd be, I'm not even a mom, but I'd pick, I'd, I'd go, yeah, that's me, that's me. <laughs> I want some of that, right? I want some of that. And that's, that's what, that's what people have said to me is that whatever you're selling, I want some of that. I want to be part of your, your tribe, you know? We're not red rose, right? Like you, you can go and get great tea at, at the drugstore and pay like $5, right? For like 20 tea bags, like that exists. But with red rose, like you're, you're literally buying tea, right? And so, you know, tea, like teas is, you know, a higher, our MSRP is $22. And so for a lot of customers like that, that's interesting to them. They're like, wait a minute, like, how is this tea company justifying, you know, a $22 price point if it's just tea, right? And, and, and that's the whole point. Like we're not tea. We're certainly not just tea. Um, and so making sure that like your messaging, your storytelling, everything like really ties into why you're not just tea. It just reminds me, just have fun with it, right? As people, people are attracted to enthusiasm. So if you're passionate about what you do, even, you know, quietly confident, like, hey, I know I can help you. Do you want my help? simple as that, you know? Yeah. We've been talking about how important it is to know your customers, but sometimes within your customers, you also have sub customers, Mm. right? So you have segments within your demographic. Um, and like one example I can give of this, you know, very, very clearly. And recently, um, is tease did like a flash sale on uh, good morning America last month. Yeah. Which was awesome for us. We had this like flash sale on like national TV in the United States. Um, and it was great. We had like a lot of sales, but the the women who saw us on Good Morning America who were you know really excited to try teas at a at a deal basically right like in their in their point of view um, is going to be a little bit of a different demographic than the you know the everyday customers that are like paying full price for our blends on our website right and they both value teas and like what that experience brings them but 
we've learned through these types of, you know, these types of like one-off sales that happen is that they, they, they're only willing to like come in at like a certain price point. And that's a dangerous game to play. That's a very dangerous game to play of like, what opportunities do you get yourself involved in without cheapening your brand and without your customers expecting a sale, right? Because we almost never have like sales on our website, right? It's almost always like full price unless there's like certain time of year. So we've gotten um, really careful about creating sub segments. So with Good Morning America, with like those customers that we have, if we have a very random deal, like a one off, like, you know, once every quarter type of thing, we'll make sure like that, that those customers are included in that segment. Right. And we'll make sure that like they get those emails that go out about this certain deal on a certain product or or what case it might be because in our experience when we include them in just like our everyday email newsletters they don't convert like it's not as compelling for them um and so just kind of like knowing that sometimes you might have we just call them our deal shoppers like our our deal segment right like they still love teas but like for the price point just doesn't work for them and so they won't always purchase from us year round but we know that we can if we can compel them and incentivize them when we do have an occasional deal and market to them appropriately we do that versus like just not communicating with them at all. Good point. That's, yeah, you're yeah. answering my, my next question there, Sheena, and <laughs> understanding like all of these different sales and what has brought you the best return on your investment or the biggest boom in sales for a particular moment. Um, and if you ever feel, you know, in these moments in time, did you just get lucky? Was something, you know, an external variable that you had no control over actually impacted this this beautiful moment? And how do you correlate, uh, you know, what, what actually um, helped your business in that moment? Where did you find the sweet spot of where you are at now? Or do you think it's just an evolution oh, that you're constantly re-engaging in? Yeah, I honestly think it's an evolution. We've definitely had, have had like, you know, many one-off really exciting things that have happened that have been, you know, monumental for the business and really move the needle. Like the Good Morning America, you know, like we, we did the sales that we did in one day were more than we would do in like several months on our website, you know? And so um, there, there are definitely opportunities like that, that are just in, in, incredible. But I, I'd say like, the biggest thing that has allowed us to have like consistent sales, consistent revenue, consistent growth um, across like all channels is really zeroing in on that. Like we're here to support you at the end of the day, really narrowing in on that messaging. Like our, our products are here to support your everyday wellness rituals and staying like true and authentic to that messaging versus trying to be a little bit of everything. Cause like even earlier on, like, again, I'm a tea sommelier, right? Like I, I romanticize like where, um, the tea is grown and like what soil it was grown in and like what the weather was before those tea leaves were harvested. Like this is stuff that like lights my soul on fire. And like, I learned the hard way that like the rest of the world doesn't really care like what soil their tea is grown in. Um, and so in my early days, like I would have all this beautiful, storytelling about geography and cultural, you know, cultural, um, you know, systems or like cultural appreciation, like in different regions in the world. No one, unfortunately, at least my demographic that I was going for, that didn't land with them. That didn't resonate with them the way it did with me. And so when we knew like we had like, okay, you know, women just love this idea of having a little extra support in their life, that moment of pause for themselves. Like if they make a cup of tea, it's more than just a beverage. It's it's them saying like, I am worthy of sitting here right now and just like taking a minute for myself, right? Taking a minute for myself and hopefully this blend, like whatever one I've chosen will help give me a little energy or a little focus or help me wind down before I go to bed at night. So just like staying really true to that messaging consistently, uh, especially in recent years has been really monumental for us, for sure. 
I love that. T as support. You totally reframe that. I was going to say further to what Sheena was saying too, is I always say confused uh, people and bored people don't buy from you. So if you, if you, if, if somebody says, so what do you do when you go into a five minute monologue, you've lost them. So it's, 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 it's about that 30 second and then counter with a question, you know, engage them right from the start, but, you know, engage them in a way, you ask them a question. So do you drink tea or what, what kind of tea do you drink? You know, like it's more open-ended because, you know, if, if somebody says, well, I don't drink tea, well, then they're not your client, but well, who do you know that drinks tea? So, you know, got a, a relative, a parent, you know, a friend, everybody knows somebody that drinks is a, is a tea connoisseur. So. Yeah. And that that's a good point too, right? Because we don't like we, we sell to people who are not only tea drinkers, but people who want to gift to tea drinkers, right? Oh, yeah. And we've and we've created our whole website and our brand and our packaging experience to support a very giftable um product. Cause like, you know, not to like hate on red rose, like don't get me wrong, I love a good red rose, like once in a while. Um, but like if someone was gonna gift me like red rose in my stocking at Christmas versus <laughs> I know Patty's making that face, versus like um <laughs> Um, I have like half of a package here because like I use I use it for my pencil holder. But like oh, if you had this beautiful packaging, like gifted, mm. like coming out of your stocking, it's like oh wow, like this you've gifted me an experience all of a sudden, right? Um, which is which is very which is very unique. And so um, yeah, just making sure that that's cohesive. Yeah, excellent. So I want to wrap up this this incredible fruit or what's a what's the another equivalent of fruitful for tea? <laughs> flavorful, flavorful. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. <laughs> With um, final notes around confidence, this is something that's, you know, weaved into a lot of the comments from both of you. Um, And that, you know, I personally struggle with fundraising or sponsorship and all these different things, selling with confidence and having that not be performative and having to, you know, hype yourself up every time, but just finding this, this, maybe not ease, but at least this comfort with selling and, and putting yourself forward. Um, Patty, you told us you weren't born a salesperson. You know, you, you just because someone's an entrepreneur does not you know, necessarily mean that they have this innate ability to sell. For an entrepreneur that also might be very introverted and mm-hmm. might be drained by those types of experiences as well, um, what would you tell them? What advice do you have for entrepreneurs that are really struggling with this? I, I, I just said this to my class yesterday, is I wish I had a magic wand where I could just take my decades of experience and throw it at you. There is no shortcut to learning. It's practice, practice, practice. And, and like I say, I'm living proof that you can, when you start focusing on helping others, you sort of lose the 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 self-consciousness you have if you truly believe in your product and you're confident you can help them then just just figure out if they need it so ask the right questions so to close I always say you know I don't do tricks so when somebody says how do I what what trick do you use it's like no there's no tricks ask good questions up front ask even better questions as you go on dig a little deeper it's learning it's just keep going until it becomes you know, don't, don't know scripts, right? Scripts don't work because you, yeah, I know my part, but you don't know yours. So if you give me an answer, that's not on my script. No, because it doesn't work. Right. So you gotta, you just talk from the heart, talk from the heart, have a few opening questions and see where it goes. And, and my biggest thing is if you don't want to learn how to sell is go do some improv training because it teaches you to be in the moment, listen really actively, say yes and, and then think quickly. 
Sheena, how have you become comfortable in this selling posture? Are you comfortable in the selling posture? Yeah, I if I had a career do-over, I would be in sales. Like I I love it for all the reasons that Patty shared. Like I, you know, I, I can be a very compelling person. And and again, it starts when I understand you. When it starts when I understand what you need and like how I can fit into that and how I can be of service. Um and so yeah. The only thing I want to add to what Patty shared, if anyone's looking for practical experience to start selling and what really helped for me to get rooted in my confidence, especially early on is trade shows and markets. And there's like a trade show and a market, like for mm. everything, right? Especially trade shows, like almost any industry, there's probably a trade show for that. And now that we're entering like the post COVID hopefully post COVID world, um, we can start going back to these like, you know, in real life experiences of trade shows. And if you have a product based business markets as well, like little, you know, um, like maker markets, if you're an early stage founder creating products, what have you, those have been fundamental to boosting my confidence towards selling because there's no, there's no more practice that you're, you're going to get than standing at a trade show booth and having to introduce yourself and talk about your brand over and over and over and over again. And you're talking like six, seven, eight hours a day. And if it's a two day, three day trade show, you're doing it all over again for like the next two days. And so, you know, we've probably done over like, I don't know, 15, 20 trade shows, um, over the years at teas and markets and, and, and things like that. And that's where where I really think I got a lot of, of my confidence because there's no shortcut to confidence. It comes with experience. And so if you can find ways to get a crash course in that experience, like do it. And so for me, like trade shows were great. And also like talking to people in real life, you know, that's when they're going to say like, you know, this is what's going on in my life or like, this is like um, my budget for whatever, right? If you're not in like the tea business or if you're in the service business, you can learn a lot about like your demographic. You can learn a lot about who your demographic even is as you're growing your brand um, just by having like those conversations with real everyday people and how you may or may not be able to fit into their life as a service. Such good recommendations there, Sheena. With Wrapping up, you know, the future of selling a little bit. That's a huge question, <laughs> Patty, that I'm going to throw over to you. Um, you know, are things going to change dramatically? We've seen, you know, all these different new opportunities to sell, these different platforms. Um, is there anything that, that you want to share with our listeners to get ahead of the curve? <laughs> well, again, you know, in, in, in direct-to-consumer markets where it's more marketing and you're going to get some, you know, artificial intelligence. You've got the, the chat bots already, right, that will, you know, be good or annoying or really quite 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 useful. So you're going to get more automation in just guiding people through the the basic questions. And B2B selling, it's still one person to another, right? You still need you you, you want to so so people are coming, you know, in B2B, they're coming and they're they're 50% or more through their buying journey. So you can't never ask anything that you can Google. So you've got to really know your market, your industry, your client. And when they, and, and then the, the first person to give them, to teach them something new gets the sale. So that's where you have to be top of the game. You have to be that trusted advisor. And so you just got to know more than you've ever known before. You know, it used to be that you had to have some business sense and, you know, then you would educate them about, whatever it is you're selling, but now they know, they know everything. And so they're coming, they, they, if they call you, you're on the short list of three. So it's yours to lose. Um, what else? It's, it's, it's never going to be boring. It's always, it's a people, it's a people thing and people are <laughs> never the same. So it's never going to be boring. It's, 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 it's still, 
And you, can, you can't automate that human-centered experience. Like that's not automatable or, or you can't automate so many of those really human touch points. No, I was going to say it, the future of sales is more the emotional intelligence rather than, you know, you know, having an MBA, yeah, helps, but it's the, it's, it's developing your self-awareness, getting the confidence that you've done this before, you can do it for them. And if they say, no, it's next opportunity and it's your loss this is my inside voice. Okay. But uh, you know, it's just, um, it's still going to be dealing with human dynamics and that's not changing. Yeah. You're always going to be dealing with humans uh, to Patty's point. And even, uh, I love what you said, like you should know the answers to anything that can be Googled. Is that what you said? I think like, that's so great. Oh, ne- ne- never, never ask anything you can Google. You know, yeah, if you say, great. so where, where did you go to school? Well, it's on my LinkedIn profile. You know, it's like, don't, don't bug me. It's like showing up with that due diligence. And we, you know, I have a growth manager on, on my team who, uh, is basically responsible for having like uh, teas and uh, retail stores. Basically that's her, her role is she's basically a sales and growth manager. Um, but she had, and so she's so used to, you know, a la carte, like retail, like selling and obviously like researching which store she's going into. And her mindset is like independent retailers and serving them and like what they need and, and all that stuff. But she was recently presented with this opportunity to pitch to an, an, an airline. So it's like kind of a big, kind of like a big deal for, for corporate gifting for their employees. And so, uh, I said, yeah, make your deck, like make your pitch deck. I want to see it. Like, let me review it. And obviously like I'll tag team that meeting with you, but create all the assets and we'll go through it together. And so, you know, she kind of went through it with this mindset of just like curating these different options, based on their price point and everything, which was fine. Um, but I said, you know more about this company than what's in this deck. Like, you know that it's corporate gifting for people who are on airplanes, that work on airplanes, that probably have jet lag, that probably, you know, like are experiencing these common challenges of just having to work on an airplane. Like, can you curate products like based on that? And then she came back and she said, oh, yes, like, look, here's like the Red Eye Trio collection or here is like the, I can't remember exactly what they all were, but she came up with very specific, almost prescriptions, like tea blend prescriptions, you know, based on, you know, the average day in the life of like a, someone who's on an airplane, whether it's a pilot or like a, a flight attendant, et cetera. And so just like really knowing your customer and it's it's not enough to just like sell what you have. It's, it's again, like curating a very unique experience based on on who they are and, and you know, long for short, she nailed the pitch. She loved it. And we, they loved it. Sorry. And we got a sale. Yay. So it's just great. Yeah. 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 The high touch, like making it really personal to that person is you're never going to go wrong with that, you know, because you sell to one person at a time. Final, final takeaways. We've covered a lot of ground in today's conversation. Patty, one final takeaway for our audience. Just keep learning. Is is sales is a huge sales and marketing is a huge topic, and there's no substitute for not knowing. And it's not rocket science, but just get started. Sheena. Yeah, and I think many people have said this before, but no often means just not right now. Well, thank you so much to you both. I feel super inspired. I desperately need a cup of tea after today's chat, um, and I, I think this is is such a helpful perspective. And just you know, sales is human, and and don't forget that as an entrepreneur that you're selling human. To human. It might be B2B or B2C or all these different groups, but ultimately there are people behind all of these businesses um, and that storytelling piece aligning to something bigger than just the product or service that you're offering um, that can help you really scale you know, all of these different sales tactics that we've covered today. Thank you so much to you both. Uh, thanks to our listeners for joining in on the Startup Women podcast. To learn more about teas and their delicious selections, head over to www.teaswellness.com. If you're interested in getting connected with Patty and learning more about sales, you can visit www.smallbizsalecoach.ca.
Thank you so much for joining us on the Startup Women podcast, where we are committed to telling the stories of women entrepreneurs and uncovering actionable advice that goes beyond the surface level. The Startup Women podcast is produced by Lauren Hicks and Maddie Stiles and is made possible with the support of BDC and Scotiabank so we can continue to power women identifying entrepreneurs. Visit startupcan.ca to explore the Startup Women flagship program and access advisory support and free resources. Be sure to check out the show notes to access important links, resources, and information that we mentioned during today's episode. Thank you for listening, and we look forward to another episode next month.